Um, today, I'm going to invite you to sit back and listen to God's word and uh, to get you to, to, to think deeply about experiencing what God would have you take away from this morning. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and, uh, and then we'll begin. Father, thank you for this day. I thank you again for <clears throat> inviting us into a relationship with you, though you could have left us in darkness. You could have left us separated from you. You, you weren't willing to do that. Uh, that you loved us enough in order to send um, prophets to invite us back to you. Father, you loved us enough in order to, uh, to send your own son, Jesus, to be the light of the world, that we, might, um, uh, that we might come to a knowledge of who you are and of who Jesus was and how it is that we come back into a relationship with you. And so, Father, we pray um, all of these things today in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. David. Um, some of you may recognize that song by Iron and Wine. It was written by um, a man named Sam Beam, and he wrote the song to talk about, um, a, you know, obviously a very serious theme. He was talking about uh, the fact that, that one day either he or his wife was going to pass away, and that the other was going to have to, uh, to endure that. The other was going to have to deal with the loss of that person that they love. And part of what artists do uh, is they, they point out truth in culture. They, they, they point out things that are true in reality. And frequently what artists do is they point out things that we don't really want to talk about or, or we don't really want to deal with, right? And, uh, and so really even, uh, even artists that aren't particularly good will do that. And so in this case, the, uh, the thing that this, this artist is pointing us towards is mortality. 
this idea that we're all going to die. You know, playwright George Bernard Shaw had a great saying, and he said this. He said, the statistics of death are very impressive. One out of one die, right? It's something that everyone in this room is going to experience, right? I mean, it's, it's something that's going to happen. And the truth is, uh, we either have maybe 60 or 70 years, depending on how young you are in this room, or, you know, maybe some of us have less than 10 years, but death is something that we're all going to have to face. What's interesting is that in our culture, we're so buffered from death. You know, if we had grown up in an agricultural setting, if we grew up in a world that was still a farming world, maybe a hundred years ago, then death would have been a very common thing. You know, you would have had to go out at night to the barn and, you know, take out a chicken in order to have dinner that evening. You know, you may have uh, witnessed um, the death of other livestock. You know, a hundred years ago, the infant mortality rate was extremely high. And so, you know, some astronomical number of kids, like almost 40% of children died in childbirth. The maternal mortality rate was also off the charts. Many women died in childbirth. And so you're constantly sort of in the presence of death because you couldn't help it. It was all around you. In fact, when people would die, um, probably as little as 40 or 50 years ago, when that loved one would pass away, they would, uh, they would take the body and they would prepare the body and they would bring the body into the home of the family who had lost this loved one. And they would sometimes put the body of this loved one on the table. And then all sorts of people from the church and from the community would come over and they would bring food and they would spend time together in the presence of this body. And so we're so buffered from death. We don't even have to deal with it, right? I mean, it's just this sort of this, this far off concept. And part of what Sam Beam is doing is he's basically saying to his wife in the song, look, one day one of us is going to have to lay the other's ashes in the ground. I didn't know it, um, but David told me this morning, we get together early on Sunday mornings to talk about the worship service. Uh, but just in the last couple of weeks, um, his mother took his father's ashes and, and buried them in the yard of their home where they grew up. And David said, you know, even thinking about this song today just almost undid me, right? Not only are we so buffered from death in our culture, but we don't like thinking about it. And so we do whatever it takes not to think about it, right? We, do, we very much keep it at a distance. Uh, I have a good friend who uh, does estate planning. And what he does is he goes and he works with people who are usually multi, multi-millionaires. He's, a, he's also very wealthy himself. And a part of what he does is he basically goes and works with these um, usually older uh, people. And he basically says, hey, look, I know the statistics. And the vast majority of you aren't going to make plans for your own death. So when you die, if you haven't made plans for it, then 50% of your estate or income ends up going to the government. And it just goes into whatever government programs they want to put it into. However, there's a provision where if you do plan for your death, you can basically choose where that 50% goes. You can make it go to a church. You can make it go to a college. You can let it go to a homeless shelter, right? You can be very intentional with that. But what's interesting is my friend who goes around talking to people about estate planning and planning for the eventual death of them, he said probably over 50% of these usual, usually men who've been very powerful individuals, they've had control over every single part of their lives, they've been very intentional about the way that they've lived, he said, he said I bet over half of these men don't want to meet with me. And when they do finally meet with me, it's basically an area of their life, he says, where he said they've, they've just been too afraid to even think about it. And so they've constantly sort of put it off in the distance because they're so afraid of even thinking about death, right? But death, it's coming, and death brings clarity, right? It brings, it brings laser-like clarity and focus into your life when we do indeed number our days. No one ever lays on their deathbed in their home or in the hospital and with their last breath says, I wish I had spent more time on the golf course, you know, 
Nobody ever lays on their deathbed speaking to their loved ones and says, if only I had spent more time working on my tennis game. If only I had spent more time at work, right? Nobody ever says that. There's nothing wrong with work. There's nothing wrong with golf. There's nothing wrong with tennis. But in the clarity and the focus of death, all of a sudden, the things of life that really matter become crystal clear, right? Not surprisingly, the Bible has a lot to say about death. This morning, we're going to be looking at Psalm 90. Now, we're going to be looking just at a section of these verses, but it's interesting to note that the title of this psalm is A Prayer of Moses, the Man of God. A Prayer of Moses, the Man of God. Moses is a guy who has been uh, very, very intimately exposed and experienced with suffering, right? Uh, he, he suffered in the sense that he was um, ripped out of his, uh, his maternal home, and he ended up being adopted by uh, the Pharaoh's family. He, he witnessed the Israelites being enslaved. He murdered someone and had to flee. He wandered in the desert. God sent him back to rescue the people. Then they wandered in the desert again. I mean, over and over again, Moses' life was filled with suffering. It was filled with an experience of and an awareness of death and an awareness of suffering. Let's start in verse 9 as we re- read this prayer of Moses, the man of God. He says this, All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. There's a lot there and we can't possibly cover it all. So I'm going to focus us on verse 12. Verse 12 says this. Again, this is a prayer of Moses. He says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. He begins by, by saying, teach us in this prayer of God, this, uh, to God, this man of God. He says, teach us. And remember, it's a prayer. And why do we pray? The reason that we pray is because we ask God to do things that we can't do by ourselves, right? We ask God to to protect our children when they're at school. We ask God to protect our kids when they're at camp. We ask God, uh, you know, to to bring us our wife or to bring us our husband. We ask God to do all these things that we can't do for ourselves. And what Moses is doing here is he's basically saying, God, please help us to do this thing, which we are not easily going to do ourselves. He makes an assumption that numbering our days doesn't just happen or at least it doesn't happen very easily. It's something that we almost have to learn. It's something we have to be taught, right? So, so take, for example, reading. Most of us in this room enjoy reading. It's, it's really only the difference of, of content, right? So you might enjoy reading sports and enjoy reading it in a magazine. You know, some of you enjoy reading sort of historical narratives. Some of you enjoy reading biographies. Some of you enjoy reading philosophy, but all of you enjoy reading. But the point is, any of you out there who have kids, you know that your children didn't just 
one day learn how to read by themselves, some mother or some father or some caring teacher invested a lot of time in teaching them to do this thing, which was ultimately so good. We all had to be taught this valuable skill. And part of what Moses is saying here is he's saying, God, we have to rely upon you to teach us to do this infinitely important thing, right? And and so let me just ask you this morning to hear the weight of what we're being told here. And let me ask you to lean into it. Let me me ask you to lean into being a learner this morning. Let me ask you to lean into a desire that God would also teach you, right? To do what? The next thing we see here is he says, teach us to number our days. Now, what's interesting is that word there for number basically means something very specific. It says that we uh, do it very carefully, that we do it very intentionally, right? So the word there, number, it's not an estimate. It's, it's not when Krista goes, hey, how many M&Ms did you eat? And I go, I don't know, a couple handfuls, right? It's not a generalization. It's not an estimate. It's rather something very particular. In fact, the translation in some of these uh, different versions of the Bible says, teach us to number our days aright. That word oftentimes was used to count uh, an approaching army, right? It's important, right? Get that right. How many people are coming? It was used sometimes to number how much money you received in a transaction. Again, it's really important that you get that right. It was used to count sheep, right? If you're a shepherd and you're taking care of your sheep and you bring them in for the night, it's pretty important that you have 32, right, instead of 29. Like That's an important thing. And so the idea here is that what Moses is doing is he's saying, God, please teach us to do this thing. It's not going to happen naturally. It's not going to happen easily. We don't really want to do it. And please help us to do it. Very, very intentionally, right? Teach us to number, to count our days. So how do we do it? How do we go about numbering our days? Where do we begin? Well, in this case, let's go back to Scripture. Let's go back to verse 10. Uh, Moses told us in verse 10 this. He said, Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away, right? So 3,500 years ago, Moses is writing this and he's saying, look, God, I I know we've got 70 years or maybe 80 if we've got the strength for it. But then after that, we fly away. What's interesting is that I actually read an article online that basically took a census. Do you know what the average age of death for an American was in 2012? For women, it was 81. And for men, it was 76. So Moses, writing 3,500 years ago, says basically 70 or 80 years, and here we are sitting in 2015, and guess what? Everybody in this room, you got about 70 or 80 years. Teach us to number our days. And again, it matters. Take it seriously. It's not an estimate, but really work hard at numbering these days. There uh, was a Kickstarter campaign that came out recently. Um, Krista told me about it. She saw it on the BBC, but it was for a watch called Ticker. So I think we've got a shot up here, but ticker. And it was, I think, invented by either a Swedish guy or a Finnish guy. I can't remember which one. But he raised all this money, and his idea was, I want to basically invent a watch that will tell people, give an estimate of really how many days and uh, how many years and how many hours they have left in their life. And so it's, it's a really interesting thing. You get the watch, and then you, you take information from your, your mom's side of the family, who had cancer, who had diabetes, how long did your grandfather live on that side of the family, And then you take that same information from your father's side of the family and you plug it into the watch and you enter it in. And basically there's an actuarial formula that basically says, well, you've got 78 years. You press go. And then this watch starts counting down your days. Right. Right. 
I, I kind of loved it, honestly. Like, I literally thought, next year for my birthday, maybe I need a ticker. One of the things that I'm constantly thinking with my kids and, you know, with this work of pastoring a church and with all these things, one of the things I'm constantly thinking is, how much time do I have left to live this life that God has called me to live? Teach us to number our days. It matters. It's really serious. So, I, you know, I actually wrote the, um, the guy that started Ticker, and I said, hey, can you give us 450 tickers? I'm going to pass them out in church. Just kidding, I didn't do that. Anyway, but one of the things I did do is I thought another way to teach us to number our days is to take a look at the people we've lost in 2014, you know, those articles that come out at the end of every year. And so very quickly, I want us to look up at the screen here. I want to look at some people that we've lost this year who, whose days were numbered. There's Philip Seymour Hoffman, who died at 46. He's an actor. All right, the next slide, Jan Hooks. Jan was 57. I don't know how many of you were around for the late 80s, but uh, Jan Hooks was on Saturday Night Live. She passed away at 57. Joan Rivers, I know some of you watched The View in here, right? You were telling me earlier. Just kidding. Joan Rivers died at 81. Maya Angelou, right? I mean, Maya Angelou lived to be 86. Uh, For those of you who grew up in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, there was a voice on the radio um, whose name was Casey Kasem, and Casey Kasem passed away this year at 82. He also was the voice of Scooby-Doo, for those of you who ever watched some Scooby-Doo. Joe Cocker, um, great musician, passed away this past year at the age of 70. For those of you who are baseball fans, Tony Gwynn died at the age of 54. And for those of you who ever saw Mork or Aladdin or Mrs. Doubtfire or who saw Goodwill Hunting, you know that, uh, that Robin Williams passed away this last year. Let's just let that sink in for a moment, right? Teach us to number our days. Every single one of us has a certain number of days. And what God is inviting us to do through Moses is to number those days. But the question is, what for? What for? Teach us to number our days that we may gain, all right? That we may gain. This word gain here that's used in Hebrew is, um, it would be pronounced bow, essentially, in Hebrew. And uh, what it means, essentially, is that we may enter into, or that we may gain access, or, or that we may win entrance into. So it's, it's almost a, it's a violent, or it's a forceful word. And so what it means is teach us to number our days that we may fight to get into this thing, or to, to achieve, or to win this thing. I was reading this past week to Levi, my nine-year-old, The Two Towers by J.R.R. Tolkien. And there's this great scene where the Ents, who are these huge tree-like creatures, um, go to uh, the fortress of Saruman, which is called Orthanc. And basically, there are these giant walls that surround a tower in the middle. And uh, these giant tree people come to the gates. And it says that uh, Pippin and Mary, who are there with them, they look at these walls and they look at these gates and they think, how in the world are are the Ents going to get in? How are we going to go get Saruman, the bad guy? And it's uh, in the story, it, it paints this picture, Tolkien paints this picture of the, the only way in and out of Orthanc are these huge iron gates. They're 20 feet tall and the hinges are massive. And it says that these giant tree men walk up to this gate and it says they rip it off the hinges and they crumple it like tin. And then in their treeness, they grow into the walls and they rip the walls down around this fortress and they gain entrance into this fortress of Saruman, right? And the picture of this of, this, uh, of this, pr- this, this song here, this prayer here, is that we would gain 
entrance into something, that we would win interest into something, that we would fight to accomplish this thing that lies before us. It's not easy, but it's worth fighting for. It's going to be a fight to gain entrance into this thing that Moses is talking about. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. It's interesting. Moses could have said, teach us to number our days that our behavior would be changed or teach us to number our days that our actions would be really smart or teach us to number our days that our thoughts would align with who you are, God. But that's not what he says. What he says is teach us to number our days that we may win, that we may fight for a heart of wisdom. What God desires is not simply that our actions would be changed. What he desires more than anything is that our hearts would be changed, right? We need new hearts. Steve Jobs, uh, before he died, says this. He said, no one wants to die. Even people who want to go to heaven don't want to die to get there. And yet death is the destination we all share. No one has ever escaped it. And that is as life or as it should be, because death is very likely the single best invention of life. It is life's change agent. It clears out the old to make way for the new. It clears out the old to make way for the new. A heart of wisdom. Some of you need a new heart this morning. Some of you in this room have an old heart, right? You've got an old heart that's tired. It's exhausted from trying in vain to enjoy the creation of God without the God of the creation, right? You're in vain, you're riding around in your bicycles and hiking the trails and traveling to Europe and, and farming and experiencing all these things that God has created, but ultimately without the one who created them, life is empty. That's why a heart of wisdom, according to Proverbs one thirty three, though your old heart might be tired and exhausted, the heart of wisdom is a heart that experiences rest. Listen to the words of Psalm 133. Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. Whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease. How many of you would love a heart that is at rest, right? How many of you would love a heart that is at ease without fear of harm? A heart of wisdom will actually give you rest. It'll, it'll take over your old, tired, exhausted heart and give you a new heart that is at rest. Some of you have old hearts that are bitter and twisted from years of suffering alone with, with no one to understand you, with no one to talk to you, with no one to empathize with you. And you try to do it all by yourself, but all the while there's the presence of the comforter, right? A heart of wisdom is a heart that experiences even the sweetness of life instead of the bitterness or the twistedness of life. Listen to the words of Proverbs 24, verse 14. A heart of wisdom is a heart that experiences the sweetness of life. Know also that wisdom is like honey for you. How many of you would like a sweet heart? If you find it, there's a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off, right? For those of you who are bitter, there's hope. For those of you who are twisted, there's sweetness. Finally, some of you in this room have old hearts that are fearful, you have old hearts that are terrified that you'll be found out, right? That somebody will find out who you really are. That somebody who, who will really be able to know what you really have thought and what you've really felt. And you're terrified, you're fearful. That old heart is scared to death when all along there is one 
who promises to be with you and to know you to the depths of your being. He's your heavenly father. He will know you completely and still love you entirely. A heart of wisdom is a heart that experiences safety, even in the presence of this God, our heavenly father. Listen to Proverbs 28, 26. Those who trust in themselves are fools. There's a lot of us in this room trusting in ourselves this morning. Some of you very outwardly, very openly. Some of us, like me, you just have to root out the, the fact that I'm trusting in myself, you know, that I'm trusting in being nice or, or that I'm trusting in maybe being in shape or that I'm trusting in trying to fake like I'm smart or trusting in any of these things. I'm trusting in myself, but that's foolishness. Those who walk in wisdom are kept safe, right? The only true safety is safety in the presence of our heavenly father who knows us and loves us. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom, a heart that experiences rest, a heart that experiences the sweetness of life, a heart that experiences safety. Now, I've got to pause right here and say and ask you this question. Have I said anything yet that a good Jew wouldn't agree with or that a good Muslim wouldn't agree with or even a good secular person might not agree with? You know, what makes this a sermon that is based upon Jesus Christ, right? We're a Christian church. We believe that Jesus was God who came onto earth in human form in order to redeem us, in order to save us, in order to make us the human beings that God desired us to be. And so I would argue that there is no wisdom apart from Jesus. It's also exactly what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1. He says this beginning in verse 20. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. That's you and that's me. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. In other words, apart from Christ, there is no wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom, that we may gain a heart of Christ. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart at rest. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart that experiences sweetness and joy and a heart that experiences peace and safety. But that peace, that safety, that joy, that sweetness can't be had except through the true wisdom of God, Jesus Christ. Let's take a moment. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would um, take these words and sink them down into our hearts. That we might have hearts that are marinated and pickled and soaked in Christ. Father, I pray that as we number our days and deal with the fact that we truly only do have a limited amount of time on this earth, that you would give us crystal clear clarity about what in life really matters and not just what matters, Father, but how to organize it all. Father, please give us your spirit to give us the ability um, 
to understand how to even put our lives together. Father, more than anything, we understand that as we number our days, that at the end of those days, we will stand before you. And Father, at that point in time, I pray that our only claim to justification, that our only claim to safety and peace would be that we declare that we trust in, that we believe in your son, Jesus, who lived a life on our behalf and died a death for us that we might be reunited with you, our heavenly father. We pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. Let's stand and sing this last song together. You know, in Jesus, in Christ is our wisdom, but in Christ is also our ability to even count. It's an overwhelming task outside of our heart.